promised homeland. And having to pay taxes to them enabled them to continue ruling over you. So the tax collectors were despised. But yet Jesus is hanging out with them. Jesus is there eating with these tax collectors and other sinners. This general category of of people of despicable character. These were people who the world said, we don't want anything to do with you. And yet Jesus is in their midst. And we've seen this before. Throughout the entire book of Luke, we see Jesus hanging out with such sinners, with bad people. And now Jesus isn't hanging out with them saying, hey, you guys are cool and what you guys are doing is okay. No, not at all. He is hanging out with them because he knows they need help. And he's the only one who can help them. He's kind of like a doctor who's around sick people all the time, okay? He's just doing his job. That's why he came. He came to seek and save sinners, lost people, bad people. But yet you have, in verse 2, this religious group, these Pharisees and scribes. And their mentality was that God only accepts the rule followers, that God only accepts good people. And so they couldn't understand that if Jesus is here claiming to be God, who is pure, perfect, and holy, how can it be that he is hanging out with such sinners, such bad people? You see, for the Pharisees, they believed that if you had any hope of God accepting you, then you had to strive to be set apart from the rest of the world. You had to strive to be as good as you could be. You had to strive to make right choices, and you had to be devoted to God. But Jesus is hanging out with bad people. And so... In response to the Pharisees' view of how God relates to people, in response to how they believed God would accept people, Jesus gives us these next three stories. And so the first two stories are short, and we're only going to hit the highlights in them, and then we'll spend more time in the third story, the story of two sons. But in the first story, we have the story of a man who had a hundred sheep. And one of his sheep decides to go off on its own path, to go its own way, to leave the herd, to leave the shepherd, and it gets lost. And it's helpless to find its way back. And so what the good shepherd does is this good shepherd goes and seeks after that one lost sheep. And when he finds the sheep, he brings it back, and then he calls his neighbors and he calls his friends and says, Hey, let's celebrate, because the sheep that I had lost, I have now found. And Jesus uses this story to picture how God pursues people. You see, we, in the Bible, are described like sheep. We tend to want to do our own thing. We tend to just want to go our own way. 
and we reject God's plan for us. We reject God's best for us, and so we just go off on our own path, and then we realize that was not the best path to take. We're lost, and we're helpless to find our way back, and, but Jesus is the good shepherd who comes to rescue us in our need. And then Jesus, when he rescues his people, God celebrates. God celebrates over each person who repents. Right? We don't use the word repent very often in our culture. You only hear it pretty much when you come to church. But what it essentially means is that it means that you have turned away from that lifestyle of living for yourself first, of choosing to go your own path. You have abandoned your sin, and now you have turned back to God to follow Jesus. And it says that there is much joy, there is rejoicing in heaven when one person abandons their sin and commits to following Jesus. Well, in the second story, it's very similar. We have a woman who has ten coins. And she loses one of those coins, and then she goes through her entire house, looking through every nook and cranny to find this one lost coin. And when she finds it, she too calls her friends and calls her neighbors and says, Come on, let's celebrate. I have found my lost coin. And so again, Jesus is telling us this story to demonstrate how God, goes to great lengths to rescue his people. And again, it says that there is much rejoicing before the angels in heaven when one person turns from living for themselves and chooses to follow Jesus. Now, you've probably heard that before, that when one person comes to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that the angels are rejoicing in heaven. Have you heard that? That's not actually what the Bible says. Right? Look, look, look here in verse, I believe it's verse 10. Yeah, it says that there was joy before the angels in heaven. Before the angels in heaven. Right, earlier it said that there was much joy and rejoicing in heaven, and now it says, with a little more detail, that it's before the angels. But it's not saying that the angels themselves are rejoicing. It's just saying that they are watching. This joy, this celebration is going on in the presence of the angels. So who is it that's rejoicing? Well, we'll see who it is that's rejoicing in the third story. The third story is a story of two sons. Okay, so at first, we had two groups of people, right? We had the sinners, and we had the religious people. Then we had two stories. We had a story of lost sheep and a story of a lost coin. And now we have two sons. Look in verse 11. It says, And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. Often this story is called the prodigal son. But really, both sons are important. And so this story, the way it unfolds is there's like two acts. There's act one, which talks about the reckless son. And then there's act two, which talks about the reliable son. So let's look 
at this reckless son, act one first. Beginning in verse 12, Jesus says, And the younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods, the the slop that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And his father felt compassion. And his father ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So this act begins with the son, the younger son, asking his father for his inheritance. Okay, so he's not just asking his father for money to go to the movies. He's not just asking his father for the keys to the camel wagon. Okay, he's asking his dad for the money and property that his dad was going to leave him when his dad died. But here's the kicker. His dad's not dead yet. So what's this son really saying? What is he implying when he's asking his dad for his inheritance? He's essentially saying, Dad... I wish you were dead already. Dad, I wish that you were dead already so that I could have my stuff, so that I could have my inheritance, my money, and my land. Now, can you imagine how hurt the father would be by this? Can you imagine what an insult this is to have your son say, I don't care about you. I just want your stuff. I wish you were dead already. What the father does blows me away. The father concedes. The father actually says, okay, son, here's your inheritance. And so the son takes it, and he goes off and he lives it up. He feels free. He's no longer under the rules of his father's house. And he's just out there living it up, living for what feels good, seeking pleasure. 
And then what? A famine hits. He loses everything, and he's in desperate need, and he's miserable. When you live your life recklessly, it's going to end up a wreck. And so the son realizes, my life's a mess. My life is a mess because of the choices that I made. And so he decides that he's going to abandon that selfish way of living, abandon his selfish pursuits, and he's going to turn and go back home to his father. And he's got a plan. He says that he's going to tell his father, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. Just make me your servant. And if I can be your servant, then maybe, just maybe, I can repay you back for some of what I took from you. Well, even more amazing than what the dad did to give the son his inheritance early is what the dad does when his son starts coming back home. Let's read this again and and know that Jesus is using this father in this story to portray God, our heavenly father. Look in verse 20. It says, And the son arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his father felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. So who is it that celebrates? It's the father. It's God who celebrates when each person turns from living for themselves and chooses to follow Jesus. Now notice that when the son comes back, he didn't have to beg his dad for forgiveness. He didn't have to earn his forgiveness. He didn't have to become a servant. His dad said, no, you are my son. And that is God's mercy that he shows us. Right? Because because who does that? Who loves like that? Who is willing to sacrificially give to the very person who said, I wish you were dead? To the very person who said, I don't care about you. Well, who loves like that? God does. God loves you like that. It's his mercy. Loving you in ways you don't deserve. But it gets better than that. 
it gets even better because what does the father do when the son comes home? It's not just that he accepts him. It's not just that he forgives him, but he honors the son. He says to his servants, bring the best robe and put it on. Right, that son had been feeding pigs. Right, he, he was broke. He was poor. He was dirty. He was shameful. And he comes home in his filth and his rags. And his dad replaces his shame with honor. He trades the son's torn, tattered, broken rags and gives him the best robe and a ring and new shoes on his feet. And he honors him by allowing him to be the honored guest at this huge celebration. Okay, and this isn't your just typical dollar store party hat celebration party here, okay? When it says that they killed the fattened calf, that tells us that this was a huge party. This was a big deal. Because meat in that culture was a delicacy. You didn't eat meat very often. And then to eat the fattened calf, which would serve 100 people or more, meant that this was a big party. This means that the dad had called all his friends and all his neighbors and said, Come, let's celebrate, because my son who was lost has now been found. The honor that this father showed his son was grace. And this is how God loves us. He doesn't make us beg for forgiveness. He doesn't make us earn forgiveness. He doesn't make us pay him back. There's no way we ever could. But he lovingly invites us to him to turn from our selfish living. And when we do, and we put our trust and commitment in Jesus... Not only does he forgive us, but he honors us. He replaces our shame with the honor of his son Jesus. He gives us the righteousness, the honor, the privilege of being called his son. That is a privilege that only Jesus deserved. But God gives us that privilege when we turn from living for ourselves and turn to trust Jesus. What an amazing God we have who loves us like that. And maybe you're here today and, and you think that you've gone too far. God will never accept you back. You think that you've done too much and God really can't love you because of what you've done. Well, who are you to say who God can't love? There is no one who God does not lovingly want to invite back to himself and give you the honor of being his next son, his next daughter. There is no one who is too bad for God to love. What an amazing story, what an amazing picture of God's grace. But that's only half the story. What about the other son? What about this older brother? Where, where's he at during this celebration? 
The reason the father was so ecstatic, the reason the father was so glad and, and wanting to celebrate so much is because when his younger son had left, it meant the family was torn apart. The family had been broken. And when the younger son comes back, the family is restored. But yet, where is this older brother? Look with me. In verse 25, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But the older son was angry, and he refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So we see that in comparison to his younger brother, this older son had been reliable to his father. Right? It is amazing that he says, I have served you for years, and I have never disobeyed. Okay, so compared to his reckless brother, he had been quite reliable to his father. But yet, when he hears this party going on, when he hears this celebration going on, and he asks, what's all the commotion about? What's all the celebrating for? And he's told, it's for your younger brother, your rebellious, reckless brother. He gets angry. He's outraged. He's furious. His response, just like our response, gives us a window into the heart. His anger shows us his motives for wanting to be so good and obedient and reliable to his father. Why is he so angry? Well, there are two reasons why he's so angry. The first reason is because he felt Like he's the one that deserved the honor. He felt that his father should be celebrating him. Look at all the good that I've done for you. Look how good I've been. I haven't caused you trouble. I have been obedient and compliant. I've been the good son. Why are you celebrating him and not me? He felt that he deserved the attention. And he was also angry because he saw his father throwing out the best, the best robe, the fattened calf. And the older brother, the older son was like, wait a minute, that's my inheritance you're spending. That's my stuff. That's my inheritance that you're using to celebrate this rebellious, reckless son. 
And so what we learn is that the older son was just like the younger son. The older son didn't really care about his dad either. If the older son had cared about his dad, he would have joined the party because here it is. This is this dad's best day in his life. His family is looking like it's going to be restored because his younger lost son has come home. And so he's celebrating. He's throwing the biggest party he'd ever had. And the older son is raining on his parade. He's out there on the porch having his own little pity party. And he's causing the dad to have to miss out on this celebration. His dad having to come out and beg the older son, Hey, won't you come in? Please come in. Be part of the celebration. Be part of the family. Make us whole together again. But the older son didn't really care about his dad. He cared about himself. He, too, just wanted his dad's stuff. Only the difference is, is that he thought he would go about it a different way. He thought that he would be good and obedient to try to earn his dad's stuff. He thought that he was the one who had earned the inheritance. He thought he was the one that deserved the honor and the celebration and the stuff. Sound familiar? Remember the Pharisees, the religious people at the beginning of this passage? They thought that God would accept them because they had been so good and obedient. They thought that they deserved God's best for them. And so Jesus is using this picture of the older son to portray these religious, self-righteous people. You know, we get that bad people need to change. We get that bad people need to repent, need to turn away from living for themselves, living selfish lives, and follow God. But sometimes we're blind to the fact that even doing good things, even trying to be a good person, can stem from selfish motivations. Why are you here today? Are you here today because you're trying to be a good person? You're trying to do the right thing so that God will accept you, so that God will give you something. Maybe it's a comfortable life. Maybe it's freedom from hardship, hard times. Maybe, maybe it's even heaven when you die. Are you here just to get something from God? Or are you here because you have experienced His grace? And because you adore how loving and gracious our God is, and you just want to be near Him. You just want to live your life close to God and close with His family. You see, the Pharisees and this older son, they lived to get good things from God. 
but they didn't really care about God himself. They lived to get good things from God, but they didn't really care about God himself. So which brother are you? Which son are you? Are you the son that's just living for your self-pleasures, living for yourself? Are you the son that's trying to be a good person so that God will accept you and God will give you good things? Or are you the son that's realized the choices you have made have, have led you down the wrong path and you're ready to just come back to the Father and just be close to Him? The Gospel tells us and Jesus tells us that we are far worse than we ever thought. Even trying to do good things, we often do it from selfish motivation. So we are far worse than we thought, but yet you are far, far more loved than you ever dared to imagine. Which son are you? In Scripture, God talks about the church as his family. We are to be united. We are to be together. But when we act like the older son, when we act like, don't I deserve that? Why is he getting the attention? Why is she getting the attention? After what they did. Don't, don't I deserve a little attention? We're creating a wedge. We're creating division in this family that God has called us to. The Bible also describes the church as a building. The Bible also describes the church as a body. That we are Christ's body. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about eating from one loaf of bread because we are of one body. And on the very night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, handed over and unjustly trialed and wrongly condemned, he shared a meal with his disciples. And he shared this meal as a celebration of God's rescue in the past and as a time to look forward to God's rescue in the future. And as Jesus was reclining around the table with his disciples sharing this meal, says that he gave thanks and then he took the bread and he broke it and he passed it around and he said, Take this bread, this is my body, eat it, and remember me. And then Jesus took the cup after they had eaten the bread, and likewise, he passed the cup around, and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, which is my blood, poured out for you. When you drink it, do it to remember me.
now we're going to enter into a time in which you are invited to come to the Lord's table. And as you come, it is an invitation for you to draw close to the Heavenly Father. To draw close to your God. But it is also a time in which you draw close together as a family, as one body. Right? This, is, this is a table, it's not a TV tray. Okay? You don't do it alone, by yourself. We do it together. And so before we come to this table, consider a couple things. Number one, consider that this table is not for perfect people. This table is for people who are hungry for God's grace. If you messed up this week, if you messed up this morning, that doesn't keep you from Jesus' table. But also understand that if you messed up this week or you messed up this morning, coming to this table doesn't make right the wrong that you did. Okay, there's nothing special, there's nothing supernatural or magical in these elements. It's just bread and juice. They are symbolic of what God has done for you, of what Jesus has done for you. And so the only way to approach God is through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross when he gave his body for us, shed his blood for our sins so that we might have the honor that only he deserved. So assess your heart. Paul warns us to not approach this table lightheartedly. We are to reflect upon our own lives and our own hearts. And if there is a known sin in your life, if there's an area that you know that you are living for yourself and you're not giving it to God, then use this time to confess that. To turn away from living in that manner and instead commit to live to God. Assess your own heart. But number two, the second thing to consider is to consider your relationships. How are you doing with one another in this congregation? Is there strife between anyone? Is there something that you need to forgive someone? Do you need to ask someone to forgive you? Paul says, not only are we to assess our hearts before we come to the Lord's Supper, we're also to discern the body. We're to consider how we're doing relationally within the church. And so what we're going to do is, there's a song on a video that we're going to play, and then Baxter's going to come up and just strum the guitar a little bit to give you all time to assess your heart and assess your relationships. And if there's someone that you need to go talk to, I encourage you to do that. If you need to grab someone by the arm and say, hey, I need to tell you that, that I'm sorry for what I've done and I want you to forgive me. Or if you just need to do some inventory of your own life, your own desires, your own heart, I encourage you to do that. Spend time 
There's no rush here before you come to this table. But when you are ready, when you have said, okay, God, I have confessed what I know is wrong in my life, and now I'm hungry for your grace. I want to celebrate with you what Jesus has done. I want to be near you, and I want to just know your love for me. When you are ready, then I invite you to come up here. There's three tables. Just pinch off a little piece of bread and take a cup. And then on your own, you can, you can eat the bread and, and drink the juice. If you want to, to go off to the side or, or come up here and kneel down and, and pray, before you do that, you're welcome to do that. If you want to take it back to your seat, you're welcome to do that. If you want to come as a family, and, and dads, if you want to lead your family in prayer, I encourage you to do that as well. But let's use this time to reflect on our own personal lives, but also on our relationships. And then when you're ready, we've got about 10 minutes here. Come up to this table and grab these pieces, and then, and then celebrate. Thank God for His provision for you so that you are accepted at His table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace, and, and we pray that during this time You would give us eyes to see the great extent of Your love for us. Father, that we may we know the height and the depth and the breadth of your love for us. And Father, that we'd be willing to, to come to you exposed in our shame. Dirty as we are, and just be willing to receive the honor that you desire to bestow upon us the honor of being your children and being united in your family. So Father, in this manner, we come to your table where we proclaim your death and we adore your grace, your blood poured out and our sins erased. Amen. If you'll play that video and you're welcome to come as soon as you're ready.